This is Soccer City. Soccer on the Block will take us to a massive viewing party at Rockefeller Plaza where Mexico was trying to rock the soccer world against Brazil in the World Cup. One of the elite teams in the World Cup, Spain, eliminated by the lowest ranked team of the competition, the hosts, Russia. Coach Edu Rubio, who works in England but grew up near Barcelona, he'll be answering some difficult questions. On Sunday, it's the Hudson River Derby, New York City FC hosting the New York Red Bulls. And today you'll meet two childhood friends who own season tickets on opposite sides of the river. If you're uncertain where to watch the next World Cup match, you've got to consider Rockefeller Plaza if you live here in the metropolitan area. You are guaranteed to be in an environment with supporters from both sides. I arrived yesterday just in time for Belgium's game winner over Japan in the 94th minute of the match. Tears in the eyes of the Japanese fans watching. Jubilation for Belgium. It was quite a scene. Now, earlier for the first game of the day, I sat next to a Mexican couple for El Tri's match against five-time World Cup champions, Brazil. How are you liking the opening minutes? Okay, very good, very good. This time, the, the best, he's going to make it. He's going to win it. Let's go. Both that good teams. Good team. Very good. And why did you say you're here watching it in Rockefeller? Yeah, because this is the one of the biggest countries. But Mexico... This is the lovely country. We love both of them. Yay! That's Cesar Sanchez with his wife, Sika. They had come in from Queens. Cesar with a huge sombrero. He and Sika with a, a large Mexican flag that they displayed with enthusiasm and pride throughout the match. A match that saw Mexico get off to a dynamic start, but unable to score against one of the pre-cup favorites, Brazil. I also met Eduardo Torres proudly wearing his Mexican jersey and visiting from the Midwest, Wisconsin. And he felt pretty good with the score, 0-0 at halftime. Everything is fine. I think I, I want to win. Mexico, they played really good. Brazil, they played good, but Mexico, that's better right now. So in Wisconsin, is there much of a Mexican, uh, Mexican-American population? They have a lot of Mexican over there and a lot of Spanish people over there in Wisconsin. Yeah, I come from, from this a small town from Delavan, Wisconsin, but there's a lot of Spanish people over there. Yeah. Where, where are they watching the match, your friends, where are they at? Everywhere, in the bars, in the stadiums, everywhere. They got, yeah, they got the biggest, big screens everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of Spanish people over there. What part of Mexico are you from? I'm from Mexico City. Uh, yeah. So were you in Mexico City in 1986? Are you that old enough to remember that? Yes, it is. I remember that one too. Yeah. Uh, when Germany does. Yeah. But that's pretty good uh, team too. You know, Mexico, they always they have a good team, but you never know what happens. Well, Mexico hosted the World Cup in 1986, advancing to the quarterfinals for the only time in their history. And that's what they were trying to do Monday against Brazil. At halftime, I, I stood and turned around in my seat at the plaza, and Raul Jimenez, 
offered me a cold bottle of water. And not just for me, man, it was hot at the plaza. It's very hot around here, especially the Manhattan area. So usually I wake up like around 8 a.m., I go to the supermarket, like I fill my bag here with water, and then if I, if I see fans, because they come here early to take seats. When this happens, they cannot go fetch water or their seat will be taken. So I usually come here, give them water. I'm just here helping people. They deserve it, they're Mexicans. Yeah. Are you Mexican? Yeah. yeah. At least half. Enough to, enough to be here watching. Yeah, of course. So you're supporting Mexico, not Brazil. Never Brazil, always Mexico. Was tomorrow's breakfast game? Actually, it was a good half from Mexico. Like if we can keep this up, we'll surely win. Jimenez visiting from Turkey with his family, although he's half Mexican, he had never gone to his father's native country. And Raul had never met his grandfather. He talked to him on the phone. But he will meet him on this trip. Raul said soccer has made it happen. Well, the second half began with a lot of optimism and a lot of pressure on the Mexican goal. But one of the most popular players for El Tri stood strong, as he has throughout the tournament, goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ochoa is one of the best goalkeepers. We're happy of here to watch the best football in the world, Mexico and Brazil. Yeah, it was festive at the Rock with a slight majority of the supporters wearing the green of El Tri. But as you'll hear, uh, a strong contingent on the Brazil side, too, after they opened the scoring on a Neymar goal just six minutes into the second half. And Brazil would go on to win the match 2 to nothing, and Mexico eliminated in the round of 16 for the seventh consecutive World Cup. While Brazil will look to add on to their record, gunning for a sixth World Cup title. A gentleman, Caio, he was standing off by himself in the waning moments of the game, just taking it all in. Obviously, this is a big moment for you. Your, uh, your team uh, looks like it's going to win. Yes, this is a very big moment. It's very nice to see Brazil here. And we are supporting to Brazil. And let's go to the final and win the World Cup, you know? Did you, have, did you have any doubts uh, during the course of the game? Mexico played well early. Yes, they played, but Brazil is the best, I think. So we are going to win. <laughs> now, why are you in New York City? Do you live here? No, no, I live in Brazil. I came here just on vacation, and I'm going to stay here like one week. And I don't know, I will be in Brazil in the final, the World Cup. So that's it. So you uh, looked for a place to watch this game. How did you uh, happen upon Rockefeller Center? How did that work? Yes, I was walking here yesterday and I saw this television, the big one, and I saw a lot of Brazilians probably will come here, so I decided to come here, you know, <laughs> and let's support to Brazil, try to win the World Cup, and it's it. What else have you done in New York on your vacation? Uh, I'm going to Rockefeller Center, Top of the Rock, and going around there, and going to World Trade Center, uh, Liberty Statue, you know, and that's it. Walking and know the, this beautiful city, you know. Pretty nice that you could actually watch the game, though, while you're on vacation. Yes, it is. I like it a lot, this. I don't know how to explain. It's very good. It's very nice. So this makes up a little bit maybe for uh, what happened four years ago. Were you were you home when all that went down? Yes, I was Rome in, in my, route, in my house, and 
it was terrible because German won the game and I don't know. It's it's it wasn't nice this one, yeah. <laughs> Seven to one's not nice. Yes, yes, it isn't. It's not very good this. So you've had to wait a long time to try to see if it would be better. You have a better feeling now if you get to the semifinal. Yes, yes, uh, I'm getting better because Neymar is getting better in the World Cup, so it's good. And Brazil is playing well, you know. So I think Brazil can win the World Cup. And at that moment, the final whistle in the dream ending for Mexico and Brazil in the customary position of quarter-finalist. Uh, like Brazil, Spain, one of the favorites in this World Cup. However, in what may be the most surprising result thus far, the host, Russia, advanced by eliminating Spain in penalty kicks. I want to welcome in a friend to Edu Rubio, uh, the senior phase development coach for MK Dons, where he's in charge of the U23s and U18s, both going to cup finals last season. Uh, he'd been with the Chelsea U16s. That was prior to his full-time status at the Nike Academy at St. George's Park. And uh, he's from a town near Barcelona, so he is certainly someone to talk about this Spain national team, the Spaniards eliminated in the round of 16 at the World Cup. Uh, Edu Rubio, how are you, Edu? Very well, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. What is your uh, initial reaction to the departure of Spain? Obviously, disappointment uh, because obviously I wanted um, Spain to, to, to do well and, and try to get into the final at least. Uh, and we had you know, big hopes for that to happen because I think we have a very good squad. How do they allow Russia which was rated as the, the worst team in the World Cup coming in, the hosts. How did that happen? Well, first of all, to say that, you know, Russia had a game plan. Uh, not, a, not a game plan that I would like to follow as a manager uh, because obviously I'm more about expansive attacking football. However, it was a good game plan and, we, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, take away the credit that they deserve. That, that's, you know, that, that's my first initial thought. But then the second one, yeah, I, I felt Spain um, had the better team and had the better chance to go through and should have gone through. Um, but, you know, that tells you that in football there is no one plus one, two. I mean, you know, that, that is the beauty of football. I mean, anyone can beat anyone and not anyone can deserve the victory. Uh, but I, I felt Spain um, didn't have a plan B and probably didn't need a plan B if the plan A would have been executed in a better way. And, and, and I explained myself. I, I felt, obviously, my humble opinion, I felt that our possession-based football didn't take us anywhere. And that's not to criticise the possession-based football because I'm all about that. I just felt that we didn't really execute it our game properly. I mean, I, I felt we could have, you know, still moved the ball quicker, tried to shift the back four or well, the back five that they were playing in a better way. I felt we could have probably tried to penetrate a bit more. I felt we could have probably played with a second striker early on rather than just wait for the last 10, 15 minutes of the game because definitely Rodrigo made an impact when he came on. I don't know. I felt that without coming away of our identity and our DNA, we could have done better um, with our plan. Well, that takes us right to what happened a couple of days before the World Cup opener when uh, Lopetegui, who is the national team coach, 
was essentially fired by Luis Rubiales, the Federation president, because he had accepted a position with Real Madrid. And that had to be a major distraction, number one. We heard that the players begged the Federation to keep Lobetegui on. And uh, what a difficult situation. And you talk about doing better in plan A or having a plan B. It's certainly possible that without the manager that had been with him for so long that maybe that's why they didn't have it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we saw going into the ins and outs of the decision itself because, obviously, I, I don't, at least myself, I don't have enough information to to make a clear uh, opinion about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel that without being disrespectful, disrespectful to Fernando Hierro, uh, who obviously found himself in that scenario, and, and I don't think he had a choice but, but to take the team, um, clearly, it's been proved that, you know, it would have been smarter to keep... Uh, Lopetegui and, and 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 I think he's a very good manager and I think you know he had done extremely well in the two years ahead to to the uh, to Russia and probably in those scenarios where where you needed a change where you needed to come up with a solution um, to obviously get the edge over the opponent uh, yeah I mean definitely someone who's been working with those players for two years someone who's whose main focus has been the World Cup for two years could probably come up with more effective solutions. That's not to say that we would be obviously now in the quarterfinals um, if Julian um, had stayed as the manager. But I, I genuinely believe that he would have given us a better opportunity. And I think that, you know, he was the manager for, for Spain in this World Cup. So but that's obviously my, my humble opinion. Edu Rubio, our guest. Edu, the first thing I thought of when... Spain was eliminated, Andres Iniesta, and uh, what he's meant yeah. to the team. And uh, give us uh, your thoughts on, on Iniesta. You, you mentioned it earlier, the way Russia played is not your preferred style. And uh, you, you like the style of an Iniesta, Spain, and Iniesta, of course, out of that great Barcelona program. Yeah, obviously Andres, I mean, regardless of of how this World Cup is, 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 is obviously end up for Spain. I mean, he will always be one of the greatest and he will always be there. Uh, and, you know, he obviously, he was vital for, for Spain in, in, in 2010 uh, when we won the World Cup back in South Africa. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it's one of those players that probably like like the likes of Xavi. I mean, you know, that they've been so influential in, in the way Spain and, 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 and the Spanish football has developed in the last 30, 20, 20 uh, 10 years. So you know, I mean, it's just it's just amazing that we've been able to 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 watch um, Andres Iniesta play for for our country. I mean, he's is one of the greatest, and not just because of the way he plays, and not just because of what it means in terms of the DNA, the philosophy, the attractive football, uh, the uh, possession-based football, not because of the kind of clever passes and killing passes that you know we we, we were used to um, watching either for Spain or, or Barcelona. But also because of the kind of person he is, uh, you know, uh, and that to me, you know, as as as, as a coach and uh, I'm someone who really loves football, uh, is also quite important. So you know, he, to be fair, is is one 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 of the greatest, I would say, definitely. You hear people discussing that this Spain team reminded them of pre 2008. In June of 2008, Pep Guardiola was hired at Barcelona, so he took charge mm-hmm. of that program. 
it seems very much that uh, certainly many of those players uh, performed on the national team level as well. It doesn't seem to be a coincidence that Spain, their best years, and maybe this is the question, where do they go next, started when Guardiola took over Barcelona. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah, wouldn't be as a great. I mean, obviously, Guardiola and Barca have been very influential in 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 the way um, the Spanish DNA, if you like, has evolved in the last decade. But you know, I wouldn't forget about people who have been in 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 other academies and and in in, in Barca academy uh, in the last twenty twenty five. I mean, um, years. It's things don't happen overnight. So so probably you know probably. That there was already something there in the last 20, 25 years. You know, the influential people like Cruyff, Rhinos Mitchells, and, and all the people in Spain that were already, and Luis Aragonés with, uh, with the Euro in, 20, in um, 2008. I think those people were already kind of evolving Spanish football and were already kind of creating this, this identity and this philosophy that, that we've adopted now, and we are so happy and so comfortable to... to you know, to, to make it our own. And then obviously probably Pep was the one that just, you know, uh, made, took it into the next level. Um, and, and, and listen, even though it hasn't been successful for us in Russia, I'm one of those who, you know, uh, people might criticize me by being too romantic, but I will still keep that philosophy and DNA. I mean, I don't think our problem in Russia has been our philosophy. It's just been that we haven't done it properly. We didn't move the ball quicker enough. We didn't penetrate enough. We didn't find solutions at times in the game with a second striker. So, but it, it, I don't think it was a fault of, of of our own DNA. I think you know. So, so I'm, I'm quite. I would like to think that now the Spanish Federation is not going to go the other way, and we are not going to change our DNA, and they are going to you know completely scrap this and go for another plan. I, I think we just need to refine our plan, and we just need to make it better. Yeah, of course. Uh, Pep played for Cruyff, so obviously was influenced uh, by Cruyff. Now in Russia, there is a, a team, England, that's still alive. You've spent a lot of time uh, in England doing your uh, coaching work. Uh, I'm wondering yeah. uh, how you see the England prospects. As, uh, as I've gone around New York City and talked to many supporters, and I've mm. known this for some time, they are normally pessimistic, cynics, and uh, they're expecting the worst. What about you? Uh, well, I'm, you know, I think you know me well by now, Glenn. I'm a... I'm a quite a positive, enthusiastic and optimistic person. So, um, and I love England. I've been here for 12 years. I've developed as a coach and as a person in England. I love England. Um, obviously, I will never forget that I'm, you know, from Spain. And But, but England is definitely my home now. And, and I'll be, you know, I'll be supporting England all the way. And, and hopefully England will win the, the World Cup. And I do generally believe that, there is a chance this year, not just because of the obvious, which is that you know some of the main uh, national teams have been knocked out, and and it seems on paper that the, the, the route to the final could be easier than expected, but it's just on paper because you you should never over underestimate any teams. It's also because I think England has a very good squad, and and I generally believe that England for the last seven, eight, ten years, have been working very hard with the under-16, 17, 19, 20s. And, and I think if it doesn't happen this year, which hopefully will, I, I, I can definitely think that, and I genuinely believe in this, that England can win the World Cup in this decade, you know, in the next 
whether it's the next one or even the following one. I genuinely believe so. He's a Catalan coaching at MK Dons in England, Edu Rubio. And we'll know soon enough about the three Lions in 2018. They'll be kicking off against Colombia in the round of 16 in a little over a half hour. New York City FC coach Dolme Touron expressed a degree of frustration when he was unable to join his new club until nearly two weeks after his appointment due to visa issues. While resolved that he was unable to control the government process, Touron appeared less accepting of the inability to manipulate his new team during a 3-2 road loss Saturday to the Chicago Fire, a game heard live here on WNYE. It's my mistake because uh, when uh, a coach uh, is not uh, able to convince uh, the players, we are in trouble. New York City led 2-1 to one at halftime, but Alexander Katai, he scored twice in the first seven minutes of the second half, and the fire prevailed 3-2. Toronto said the warning signs were present when Nemanja Nikolic found a large gap in the defense en route to the game's opening goal in the sixth minute, which was his halftime message. We made uh, a big mistake, in the, especially in the second half, in the first seven minutes in football. When you... Uh, don't have focus exactly in what will happen. What will happen in the second half? We spoke about that in the se- in the in the local room because uh, we are in trouble in uh, little little moments in the the first half in the in the same in the same way in between the lines. And those issues continued on both Katai goals. We also got some insight into Toronto's philosophy approaching goal against a packed-in defense. Chicago was like that, protecting the one-goal lead. After all, Toronto, he saw quite a bit working with Pep Guardiola. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, many teams uh, play uh, against us in, in Manchester City, in Bayern Munich, in Barcelona, something like that. Uh, we need time because uh, the most important thing for me when that happened, uh, you have to, to play positional. positional. I like to play wingers, uh, sideline, two or three strikers, doesn't matter. But when you move too much, for me, you don't play good. You don't play well. It's impossible. Well, it's something to monitor moving forward, although Toronto and his team will likely not see any of that on Sunday. It's the Hudson River Derby against the high-pressing New York Red Bulls. A heated rivalry, to be sure, and pretty interesting for a pair of friends, Ian McCartney and P.J. Norton. They grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey, Basking Ridge. Ian, a Red Bull season ticket holder, P.J., a New York City FC season ticket holder and proud member of the third rail. They live just a block from each other, connected in part because their older sisters were friends, and of course, sports. First PJ and then Ian. Primarily through the Yankees, that was our main bond from the beginning was the Yankees, obviously being around the longest and us going to games every so often together. And that's really what formed our initial bond, and we've been friends for now... 25 years. We would always play basketball, shoot hoops, play wiffle ball all the time. We used to do makeup, uh, make impressions of all the Yankees from the early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. I had a really good, uh, who was it, Ken Griffey. I could do Ken Griffey pretty good. Gary Sheffield could do pretty well. Um, and we always do that, and it's kind of like spurring on now, what, 25 years of friendship. Um, you can see the generation gap here because I used to do Horace Clark, Jerry Kenny. <laughs> Jake Gibbs, and a little Mickey Mantle. Odd to be in your 20s. Anyway, it makes sense that Ian supports the Red Bulls. He's from New Jersey, 
and a lot of influence from his father, Jack. But PJ, how did a Jersey boy join the NYCFC clan? When I started liking MLS was in 2015. Um, I was actually taken to a soccer game at Yankee Stadium for the new NYCFC club. And I was intrigued because I didn't think a soccer team would ever be able to play at Yankee Stadium, given the dimensions of the field, given the small vicinity of the pitch compared to the outfield, compared to the first base, the thinness of the end lines. I was very confused when I first walked in. I was like, how does the team play in this? But I watched them, and they were actually playing Orlando City at the time, the first meeting with Orlando City at home in 2015, when Pirlo made his debut. And I immediately fell in love. And together, PJ and Ian have shared the experience although not sitting together at the games, but meeting up at halftime when possible. And they both agree it's been good for MLS and soccer in the metropolitan area. What, do you think it's pretty crazy that, you know, from the time you've been little boys and now you're both young adults, both working, and now you're on different sides of this uh, ledger? There was no New York City FC uh, four years ago. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's good. I mean, it, it's good for the MLS. It's good for kind of the local area. Um, but PJ doesn't see it, but like the path train on the way home, especially for the the Red Bulls games, um, going back towards New York, because um, yes, I'll say where we play in Harrison, New Jersey. Um, I'll just get that out of their way, so we didn't have to, so we don't have to answer that question. Um, but going on, on the on the path trains back to to either Hoboken or the city, I mean, it's there's this level of kind of intensity and like passion that I didn't see even coming from like Yankees Red Sox or like Giants Eagles like Giants Eagles get it but you don't have a a massive train to to yell at Eagles fans like you have kind of spirited debates between these two clubs and these two organizations that I think while there could be some ugly times like all in all it helps make both sides way better um and just it helps I think the I think Don Garber probably loves that there's two New York teams with this kind of spirited rivalry and that we have to I have to go all the way around Red Bull Arena to go see PJ at halftime because he's not allowed to go through Section 124 when I'm at uh, 226. So I think that's safety is obviously the main concern, but getting to that level of care and cautious and consideration for both sides, um, it it makes for for good football. Do you see it the same way, that it's a healthy rivalry, although there's maybe been a couple of instances? (laughs) I would say absolutely yes. I think that this is a rivalry that's Ian said before. I think it was one that the league was always going to consider. And with now the announcement almost being made that the World Cup final in 2026 will be at MedLife, which is huge. Not even for just FIFA, not even huge for the U.S. national team. It's huge for both our clubs. It's saying that the New York market is hosting the world's biggest event in eight years and that's saying something New York can say like we're hosting the biggest event and we have two soccer teams here in the United States that are really competitive and have a real intense rivalry did this rivalry take a hit though when both McCarty and Felipe those two were to me were two of the guys that uh, really like to give it to New York City FC I'd like uh, both your impressions of that well I think Felipe likes to to stick it into a new team that is just not his the colors that he's wearing right now. I watched the the Vancouver Colorado game last night, and he was uh, he was picking at Howard towards the end of the game. I think just because it was a goalie trying to save some time. So I think Felipe. But I mean, to your point, Felipe was kind of that 
character that no one liked to play against, but I felt like everyone loved to have him on his team, and he was that kind of big personality, even though he was kind of small in stature. And Dax was honestly the biggest blow. Um, that hurt. My, my mom is still not over that uh, that trade and that, that uh, move over Chicago, and she I secretly, I think, roots for Chicago Fire when they play <laughs> Red Bulls, or at least when Dax has the ball, she likes to cheer for Dax. How about yourself? Uh, the third rail could not have liked Felipe. We didn't like Felipe. We didn't like Sasha Klushin. We didn't like Dax well, McCarty. Because he did 4-1 to Lampard that one game, or 3-1. Uh, you remember that? It was, I think, two years ago. He put up when Lampard, Klushin was doing some, uh, he was either juggling or doing, like, ticky-tack of football, like, in the 75th minute. It was at Rebel Arena. I think the Rebels were winning either 3 or 4-1, and Lampard stuck in a tackle, which I actually kind of I thought was hilarious. Um, and Kleshin and him started chirping at each other, and Kleshin started putting up 4-1, like 4-1 into his face, which was just like, I mean, I get it. It was awesome. From a Rebels fan, I thought it was hilarious, but I also respected that Lampard like didn't allow that to happen. Well, what will happen on Sunday at Yankee Stadium? We know that Ian McCartney and P.J. Norton will be texting this week. Can you trash talk through text? Well, with a healthy respect, though. And the question, will New York be red or will it be blue? The Red Bulls, they do lead the overall series. Eight wins, three losses, and one draw, although New York City has won three of the last four in the regular season. Join me with Maddie Lawrence for the live broadcast here on WNYE starting at 645 this Sunday. That'll do it for Soccer City. I'm Glenn Crooks. Happy 4th of July, everybody.